0: You're not have tempted to um, become no. invisible? No,
1: I think it actually can. Well, it can, it can help some people in some ways and it can cause problems in other ways. But I think the names you choose actually do affect you. I mean, we could get into this in the when you're ready to record or whatever. Alright,
0: I'll introduce and then you can, you can just pick up okay. if you like. So yep. anyway, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Rogue Insider podcast. We've been doing a lot of readings recently, so I'm very happy to be moving back into doing some interviews. And I'm especially happy to introduce a friend of mine, Ari Freeman, who is writing a book at the moment, uh, which I will allow him to explain. So anyway, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, how are you doing, Victor?
0: (laughs) Yeah, very good. So just immediately before this, we were talking about... uh, invisibility versus legibility on the internet using free using our real names versus uh using anonymized accounts and that kind of thing and you were get, starting to get into the flow of it so we stopped and did the introduction okay. so
1: Sorry, i wouldn't just say the internet i'd say all of my life mm-hmm. is important because um so i'm writing a book i am a mu- i'm a musician um fairly well known around canterbury um i play in a band called rhomboid i play as Uh, Blues Professor, I guess there's an alias, but it's a one-man band. Uh, And I'm a public wizard. Mm. So this is where it's not just about internet. I've been uh, the apprentice of the Wizard of New Zealand um, and moving on into being his deputy. And that's been happening since, I think just before, I think it was December 2013 or something. Mm. So quite a few years of public wizardry. Um, And one thing we're talking about, you asked me if I wanted to use an alias or my own name, as much as possible, I try and use my own name. Mm. And I guess it's just that thing about keeping honesty. So the book I'm writing is called Pragmatic Magical Thinking, and I'm trying to explain how magic works to modern people who've been raised with a kind of rationalist, reductionist um, schooling. It's quite a told.
0: dense task that you've seen yeah. yourself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm trying to explain using no woo, exactly <laughs> how they can't possibly get away from magic, how we do magic and relate to magic every day. And mm-hmm. contrary to um, popular belief in our modernist era, which I believe is might be slowly coming to an end now, mm-hmm rather than magic being um, this this sort of crazy thing that stupid, superstitious people did in the past, I, I, I rather think that we are living in the most magical age of all of human history. We're just basically bullshitting ourselves about it, and this is why we're getting tied up in so many... Worms and uh, t- so many knots and this sort of thing.
0: So we have listeners across 19 different countries. So okay. just for our international listeners, I will say yeah, that yeah. the Wizard of Christchurch is a extremely long-running institution in New Zealand. Mm. Yeah, so your apprenticeship, if that's what you would call it, and so his in, tutelage. Yeah.
1: That's right, so he's been here since 1974 yeah. in Christchurch. That's he right. was made the... Um, in the '80s, he was made uh, the Wizard of Christchurch by the City Council, recognized mm-hmm. as such. In 1990, he was recognized as "The Wizard of New Zealand by Mike Moore, the Prime Minister, mm-hmm. at the time. Um, and oh, I might get this wrong, but I think 2004, he was awarded uh, the Queen's Service Medal Fantastic. for uh, services to wizardry. Yeah, <laughs> Which is an absolute first. And, right. um, yeah. So. So for people uh,
0: who for whom credentialism and the rubber stamp of authority for those people for whom that matters, be yeah. aware that what we're dealing with here is something that is is operates in that realm as well as all of the magical stuff. But anyway, Correct, Why yeah. don't yeah? Why don't you uh, give us your argument and perspective about what you see as important about magic why it's important that we recognize it in this age and the kind of central thrust of that argument that is coming from your book um to our audience
1: okay so there are two really important things there's two ways we are cutting ourselves off from each other Mm. that i think is of huge detriment um and and i think one only needs to look at world politics to see this come uh, like amplifying and amplifying and amplifying. But there's two things. One is this general idea that we are removed from our ancestors, that somehow um, everyone was very, very stupid until the enlightenment. And after that, we started to smarten up. Mm -hmm. And the reason we think that, and the only reason we think that, is uh, it's very, very hard for us to understand the worldview of our ancestors Mm. But if you take the time to do so, and this includes indigenous people that we come across, sure. um, as you do so, you find that nothing they do really lasts unless there's a reason for them to do it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So um, rather than just being, I mean, superstition is a thing. But you'll find when someone does a ritual or it frequently, there is a reason for it. and. The problem is, is we expect them to explain it on our terms, mm-hmm. but we are the we are the very strange people in history, not them. Mm-hmm. Throughout history, people have n- never sought to be objective until basically the late scientific age. Even early science includes magic and uh, divinations and. So alchemy, for instance. Sure. Oh, my chemical experiment's not going so well, so I will summon an angel to help me find a solution. <laughs> I, and okay.
0: even, the con- even the idea that we're capable of being objective is still a live debate so that I don't think anyone's... Um...
1: Yeah, that's where I was going to get to. So right. objectivity is not something you achieve. It's something you orientate yourself, navigate yourself towards, because we are all human Humans filtering the world through our subjectivity, including scientists. Scientists, good scientists know this. This is why they never give a hundred percent for anything. They're always like saying, "Well, there's a." And I'm going to get the numbers wrong, but ninety-nine point nine 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 six chance that a Higgs boson is a real thing. Yeah. And like the journalist guy, can't you just say it's real? It's like, no, I'm not allowed by the, you know. Well,
0: anyone who's familiar with the philosophy of science will know that the scientific method is a method of disproving, not a method of proving. So the idea that we can arrive at certain truths is already out the window with science. Yeah. yeah.
1: It's only about making good predictions. Mm-hmm. All it's all it is, it's making good predictions which is what divination seeks to do too so divination and science came from a common human want if not um, and some people even that uh, I think it's plausible that science even came out from divination
0: well to the degree that natural philosophy took divination seriously and science yeah. is the child of nat- natural philosophy mm-hmm. I think that they don't just come from a common want, they come from a common tradition
1: now, just before you know people get up in arms and uh backlash and turn this off and scream woo i'd like to point out that the word scientist was first coined in 1833 by mm. william Whewell. before that they were called natural philosophers as you've suggested and before that they were alchemists and things like that now each time they changed the name they changed the values very slightly too. So while there's not that much difference between a natural philosopher and a scientist, the natural philosophers were still deeply attached to the, uh, to the concept of humanism.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Humanism came out from Islamic and Christian humanism, which is the idea of, it's called the Book of Nature by some people, that uh, good Christians should study the Bible and the book of nature, which is you should go out and discover the world because it's God's creation. Mm-hmm. You are therefore worshiping God by discovering his creation. And this com- this puts an end to this ridiculous idea that religion and science have been at odds all through history yeah. because around this time um, with the natural philosophers and the, and the Renaissance alchemists, it was considered an act of worship to to do science or mm-hmm. proto-science. Mm-hmm. The, a lot of the practitioners were things like uh, Catholic Jesuit press, sure. monk, like Gregor Mendel. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the Catholic Church frequently funded scientific endeavours and mm-hmm. they actually still do up to a small point.
0: Well, the classic example that people use of the conflict between uh, the church and science is mm. this idea that the Moon go uh, that the Earth goes round the Sun, but what is less known is that that uh, suggestion hung in the air for like thirty or forty years before yep. the Church started to move against it, and I think it's historically sound to say the reason why the church moved against it was not yeah. because of the reje- rejection of science, but because at the time the counter-reformation was starting to occur, and because yeah. European society was starting to fracture the church decided that introducing new and radical destructive ideas to the kind of cultural background of Europe at that time, a sure, time yeah. which was immediately before the 30 Years War and all of those terrible things, was probably not a good idea. So I think we can assign a geopolitical valency rather than an ideological valency. Well oh, that's almost it. always the nice. case. Yeah. So
1: let me, let's clarify a couple of things. Let's clarify.
0: Yes, and also let's commit ourselves to giving our audience, if they are strict, rationalist, scientific types, yeah. uh, we will, we, let's commit ourselves to giving those people in our audience a current through this conversation so Absolutely. that the, there's never going to be a moment where they're going to go, ah, no, I'm definitely out now.
1: Yeah, yeah, hopefully. So um, the first thing, let me define magic the way I'm using it. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've slightly tweaked it um, so that I think it's more used to modern people. Um, I want people to be able to, oh, sorry, before, I want people to be able to understand, go into, look look at historical books, indigenous cultures, and things like that, and start looking for why they're doing what they're doing when they're Mm -hmm. engaging with magic. All cultures engaged with magic in the past. Mm-hmm. And I actually believe all still do, including our own, mm-hmm. and we'll get into that. So, and the other thing was this: generally, our society is is fracturing, and uh, over ideological lines, mm-hmm. some political. But we are seeing currently like another huge spiritual um, uprising, similar to what happened around 1850, and then again during the 1960s with
0: the psychedelic mm-hmm. movement. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, what was the so eighteen fifty
0: uprising? Was that Victorian magic?
1: Around eighteen fifties, you had, uh, no, it was so many things. You got spiritualism. Mm-hmm. You got um, the Bahá'í Faith. You mm-hmm. got Mormonism. You mm-hmm. got the Theosophy Society, and then later um, Anthroposophy, from Rudolf Steiner.
0: Uh, the introduction of Hinduism to the West yes. through the Raj.
1: Absolutely. You also got the uh, beginnings of the modern the the late, the late scientific age that we're in now. Mm. so where it switched from natural philosophy into science, science with scientists, yep. the way we've given now. So, um, cool. So, let's, I'm going to define magic, then I'm going to define religion, and then we'll talk about science. And we'll talk about what each want, what each are looking for, and how they behave a little bit like a big game of paper, rock, scissors. Sure. Okay, so the way I'm defining magic, my favorite definition... Which is one by Dion Fortune mm. and she adapted hers from Alistair Crowley, I believe, but I slightly prefer prefer hers so my one's adapted again I say magic is the ability to shift or manipulate the perception in accordance with the will before that I think Dion Fortune said it was the ability to make changes in the consciousness but
0: and Crowley's what is was the ability to c- cause changes in accordance with Will. And I think he right, needed yeah. more in the material sense, but anyway.
1: yes. Yeah, so I think his is a little too hard to pin down. Mm. And I think hers is only as problematic in the modern age because we have the scientific hard problem of consciousness and everything. Sure. So I use the perception. Cool. So the ability to manipulate the perception in accordance with the Will. Mm-hmm. This, make, this allows us to compare many things. and It allows us to compare what happens when I play music and I cause people with my will to dance and have a good time. What something I consider charm magic. They think they wanted to dance, but I made them dance if I'm doing my job properly. Okay. Um, to what um, actors do, to what advertising is trying to do. When sure. you see the golden arches and as you're driving along, and often subconsciously, you don't even register. You just feel like a hamburger.
2: Mm. It
1: goes in as pure primal desire. Mm. And anyone who thinks they're immune, completely immune to this is just not noticing it.
0: Yeah, so I, I think up. you can be ignorant of it, but I don't think it's possible yeah. to argue against the idea that no. minds are affected by their environment. That's just yes. a non-starter.
1: So advertising psychology is... This is a magical study as far as I'm concerned by my definition of magic. If people don't like my definition of magic, that's fine. Just understand that when I say magic, I'm talking about the ability to manipulate perception in accordance with the will.
0: Can I give you a quote from Mercia Eliada yeah. that supports yeah. your point? Thank you. He says, insofar as science and the manipulation of phantasms are concerned, magic is... Oh, Phantasms being, like, our internal perceptual models, that kind of thing. Magic is primarily directed at the human imagination, in which it Mm. attempts to create lasting impressions. The magician of the Renaissance is both psychoanalyst and prophet, as well as the precursor of modern professions, such as director of public relations, propagandist, spy, politician, censor, director of mass communication media, and publicity agent.
1: Yes, very good. That's all often missed. Yeah. Uh, especially you look at someone like John Dee. Um, I won't go on too much in here, but the, the sheer number of things he achieved in his lifetime is quite stunning. Mm-hmm. Uh, from political propaganda to literally being a spy. I mean,
0: uh, a genuine that, that, Renaissance man. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so
1: what magic is trying to do is manipulate perception for an end. Now, I'm being completely morally neutral here when I explain it because I believe magic can be used for extreme good from counseling uh, and things like that to actually help people's mental health by reframing things like narrative therapy, things like hypnosis, things like uh, placebo effect, I think Mm -hmm. it's all Mm -hmm. genuine magic. Um, It could also be used to manipulate people. Now, there. uh, okay, so... The, oh, you At the beginning you asked me if I wanted to use an alias and I said no, I'd like to use my real name and one of the reasons is that you cannot cause any uh, change in the world by wielding any kind of power without first being changed yourself. Mm. First thing that any spell you do will at first be enacted on your own mind. Mm-hmm. Um, to keep myself honest so that people can have me up if I go in the wrong direction, I like using my own name being approachable and this is why i appear publicly as a wizard and why i do most of my magic in public
2: mm-hmm. not in
1: private in a coven or something so i do not consider myself an occultist
0: right because you're not practicing hidden arts
1: no i'm trying to do it openly even though i will draw from uh, occult things occasionally i'll do I, it in the open
0: what are you are you what do you think about esotericism, this idea that there's an inner and outer temple and that the outer temple is for the public and the inner temple is for the, uh, what would you call them, aficionados? Does that contravene your commitment?
1: It contravenes my commitment, but I'm not saying it's a bad thing in general. Sure. It, might be, it might be useful and there might be advantages to doing it that way, but it's not the way I'm going. Okay. I, I think we are now adult enough as a society that we don't have to hide information from each other. We're living Mm -hmm. in a glorious time (laughs) where uh, we can disseminate information without being punished. I think a lot of the initiatory stuff started off with the fact that it was blasphemy Mm -hmm. and we no longer, we can get away with a lot more blasphemy than we used to and (laughs) not even considered blasphemy anymore. So I think the time is right to talk about this stuff. I'd also say, be aware of anyone who claims to have wholesale information on how to live your life or be a glorious magician and but first you must pay lots of money and jump through 12 levels of initiation <laughs> and go through and um, it's like usually when you like read books of people who've been through that got fed up with it things like Scientology and stuff they come out the other end going look it's not that there was nothing there like mm-hmm. there was some quite good stuff there It's just that they claimed to know everything. They claim to know the secrets of the universe. And I came away with like three or four really useful things, but I paid like half a million dollars and and, and it's 30 years of my life. I was like, why not just just go straight into it? If you don't understand it, you don't understand it. Spend more time. It's like we're adult enough to deal with this now, I think. That's the way I feel. I think sometimes, um, maybe my approach will occasionally miss miss something out, but I think in general, I'd rather treat my audience like grown-up adults, not people who intend to jump through herbs.
0: That's right. I, I cool. recently read uh, Dion Fortune's The Magical Battle of Britain, and it was really yeah. interesting to get an insight into the way that her magical order operated. Right. Yeah. Um. And she's was very much operating on an esotericist model, and I'm willing to go out on a limb and say that she pursued it in a moral way. Cool. Excellent. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Cool. I'm also not out to be anyone's guru. I just love these ideas and I think other people could use them. The, people.
0: Yeah. imagine how much of a pain in, in the ass it would be to be someone's guru, having them tagging you, following you around, asking you questions about things all the time. You're like, look, there's, there's yeah. no secrets in the world. Everything's written down. You've got a library card. Yeah. Get back to me when we can have a conversation about something interesting.
1: No, personally, I find it kind of gross.
0: <laughs> and, no, um, I think that's a reasonable reaction. Part of
1: it is like when you're going out on a limb with some different ideas, and I'm not saying all these ideas are mine, but uh, you know, I'm coming up with a few new things. I think hopefully, that people can use. People are welcome to use. Is uh, to in order for someone to show me I'm wrong, but I actually have to put myself out there and go. Look, this is what I think is going on. Yeah. The best thing that could possibly happen to me is someone go is someone show me I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. Being right sucks. Being right all the time is really annoying. I, love I, want, I want to learn something new. Yeah, I want to yeah. learn something new. So, um, so I think I I think I'm right. But uh, if someone wants to challenge me, that's all fine and dandy. And yeah,
0: yeah, fantastic.
1: Cool. So magic. We've looked, talked a bit about magic what religion's trying to do I think a lot of people get this wrong if we look at did you have a
0: did you have a definition for religion before we move into discussing it
1: now I think the problem is is if you look it up in a dictionary I think you get all these kind of things that are all these definitions that are a little bit uh, obscured by by history but I'd like to go back to what I feel is the original intent of the word uh, from the word religion which comes from Latin Mm, and it has that yeah, religio, and it's got that term in it that is related to the term ligature.
0: Ah, uh, what's that, a binding?
1: To bind, to yeah. bind. So my, my working definition for religion, and I feel this is the only definition I've come across that allows us to compare all the things that people consider religion seriously, is to bind a group together in common belief.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: This allows us to um, deal away with the fact that not all religions are theistic. It's possible to be an atheist Buddhist. Sure. Cool. Now, given that it's to bind a group together in common belief, the core value, the thing held most valuable, is the group. Keeping the group together. This is why religion is suspicious of magic, because the core value behind magic is the will of an individual magician even if he's working for his group
2: mm-hmm.
1: so religion so religions are always started by magicians in a sense uh, but once you've got the group going you're trying to keep the group going so therefore if another magician comes in and starts messing with your rituals and your rules and asking questions you could see how that would be threatening to the group because how the group's more important in religion and yeah. the individuals more important in magic, this is why they annoy each other.
0: And following the maxim that wizards can never agree, uh, yeah. you can see how it would instantly well, become a that we never so,
1: agree, but it's that we do tend to argue a yeah. lot.
0: <laughs> and also, that explains why there's a religion which is called Orthodox, right? One voice. Right. Because the ah, whole yeah, point of God. it is to bring everything into alignment around a collectively held principle.
1: Yeah. So the gen, like basically if you push a religious person, it's like, well, why do you do it? Why do you do it? Why do you do it? Because it's the thing we do as a group and we've always done it, so go away. Yeah, it is its way own way.
0: justification. It's, it doesn't requ- yeah. uh, what's that saying? Anything worth doing requires no further justification and religion is one of those.
1: Yeah, if you're trying to keep the group together, then that's the right way to behave.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Corporate it's also a way you would be... Um,
0: suspicious of magicians and it's also why you might get a wee creeping chill up your spine when you hear too many people say the same thing in a row (laughs)
1: yeah absolutely so religion and uh, apart from that apart from magic being focused on the individual will um, someone wants to get something done like a musician in front of an audience like an artist in front of a canvas they are both dealing with the manipulation or and by manipulation, I mean completely neutrally. I, mm-hmm. I don't mean in a nasty way. But they're yeah. both dealing with the manipulation of the perception and people's subjectivity. Religion is not inherently objective, and when you try and make it objective, it gets really, really silly and becomes, you know, modern fundamentalism and things like that.
2: Mm.
0: Well this is exactly why the scientific religions that people tried to pioneer in the late 19th century immediately fell apart and went nowhere. uh,
1: Absolutely, 19th century. And earlier um, there were two churches they tried to start out of the French Revolution. Uh, One was a deistic church and the other one was an atheistic church and I think they lasted about a year and a half. Well
0: that's pretty good going on average.
1: I can't remember exactly what they're called, but yeah, they, it was, I find it hilarious that were like, we hate religion, we're getting rid of it. We're like killing um, religious leaders that don't, don't follow our um, secularization, but we're gonna start two churches. <laughs> yeah.
0: We're
1: gonna email it. Like, yeah.
0: yeah.
1: And uh, so just as a side note, if you are looking to rebel, if you're, a rebel, if you're listening and you're a, a rebellious person who's fed up with the status quo, do not rebel by merely inverting the values. Don't just go everything that was good is now bad and everything <laughs> that is bad is now good. Yeah. It's a little bit like going, growing up in a soccer family and getting annoyed and hating soccer and saying, I'm going to rebel against my soccer-loving family that made me play soccer every, you know every weekend by joining the team they hate and playing soccer against them. Okay? <laughs> A much better approach is to be a magician about it, understand where the rules are, and change the rules of the game. Mm. Then you might get somewhere. Otherwise, you are merely trapping yourself in exactly the same game playing by the other team. If you're a Christian and you're fed up and you become a Satanist, it might give you like some dopamine hits and <laughs> it might like make you feel a little bit better in the short term. And it might be like a stepping stone, but you don't want to stay there very
0: long like, you haven't exited something. the cosmology, that's for sure.
1: No, you're still stuck. You're still tethered to the same system. Try something really different that takes a bit more effort, and you'll probably come right around the other side eventually after a couple of decades realizing, oh, now I understand
0: what the religion I grew up in much better. Yeah, you might walk backwards to the place where you were originally. Yeah. yeah.
1: Well, you At least to respect what, why it's there and what it's for. Mm. Cool. So... So religion doesn't like magic very much because it's individual will, and religion's based on a group. Um, science is dealing with the objective, and do, religion uh, and magic a, are dealing with the subjective.
0: Sorry? Do we have a definition for science before we move into discussing science? Um,
1: it's the attempt, yeah, I, you could probably help me with this, but it's the attempt to make the best possible predictions. Mm-hmm. to to measure to to measure the world it's about measuring to so make you, measurements of the world to create systems in which you can make the best possible predictions with the most certainty
0: so it would be fair i mean i think we all know what science is so maybe the definition is redundant but let's yeah. just say that when you're using the word science it's not anything else than the accepted no. orthodox philosophical understanding of what yeah, science um, is exactly okay so cool. i think we can move forward on that
1: yeah, so science is obviously, um, I mean, it's just not going to have much to say about magic because magic is based on subjectivity and subjectivity is very, very difficult to measure. Mm. An example of this is um, you can do science on some magic, but uh, not directly on the experience. So. Right. Whether or not ghosts are real. I strongly um, suspect that, that we will never find scientific evidence that ghosts are real because they're not objects. <laughs> yeah. However, ghost experiences are real and you can do science on ghost experiences and you can go around collecting data on ghost experiences and compare them across cultures and you can induce people with various environmental changes or drugs or whatever and see if they have ghost experiences. But you're. Ne- I don't think you're going to be able to say whether ghost is real because ghost is is inherently something not measurable.
0: Well, it's pretty easy to induce a ghost experience and we know how to do it. It's really simple. You get a group of your friends, you go to a place in the forest that you've never been to before, you stay up late until you're really tired and starting, and you really want to go to sleep but don't do it and Mm. then tell each other the spookiest ghost stories that you can and then... Um, when you need to go for a pee walk out into the forest somewhere where you're by yourself and try not to see a ghost you won't be able to
1: (laughs) i've uh, played with this for myself uh, uh, lots and lots and lots i've really i've lived next to forests a few times in my life and i've really enjoyed walking down around the forest entirely by myself to see if i can reconcile all the weird little hallucinations one gets in the peripheral vision maybe mm-hmm. hallucination is a strong word but all the things you see the pareidolia the epiphenia
0: mm-hmm. that
1: one gets from the noisy sort of blurry side vision
0: what, what are those words we-
1: mean uh pareidolia and epiphenia both mean if i'm if i'm saying it right uh, pareidolia for sure it means to find patterns um, amongst chaotic elements. Uh, so, uh, right to, to yeah. see patterns um so like how people are have a tendency to see faces everywhere. Sure. Or like watching, like cloud watching is pareidolia. It's like Perfect. a fun, fun version of it, yeah.
0: Yeah,
1: okay. So walking around, and it was a little bit to gain some personal confidence. Um, and I, I think I just enjoyed that like teetering on the edge of anxiety of walking around at night and seeing if I could control my mind. and keeping control despite the fact that you're genuinely seeing freaky um freaky half shadow monstery things outside of the corners of your eyes
0: it's pretty amazing to just like see with your own eyes werewolves and crawling corpses and you know all kinds of like you know giant bats and all of that kind of thing those are the sorts of things that i see when i walk around the forest by myself kind of there we go in the in the when you look up at the sky and the overlapping areas of the branches, they move over each other from one tree and to the next, and you can yeah. see the light beside them. That movement is the thing that really sets off my imagination.
1: Yeah, but that's pareidolia
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So I hope I hope does that kind of help it people is.
1: understand where I'm coming from where, um with magic. So I guess I should give a couple of examples of things we do in the modern world that are magic Mm -hmm. that fit my definition so um one i mean placebo effect is definitely one
0: okay
1: now often people are a little bit um unsure about what placebo effect means or they think they think they know what it means i'm going with the proper scientific understanding of it which we're updating every so often which is it's it's now, I know most people understand this, but some people think it means stuff that doesn't work. Oh, that's just placebo. It's just placebo. It's yeah. quite the opposite. It's stuff that shouldn't work but does anyway. Mm-hmm. So hopefully most of us are on the same page with that. But another people go, oh, well, it's just playing with belief because if you, um, you're just making someone believe something. So it's basically a, 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 like a calculated lie. hmm I said that's actually not quite true. Though belief comes into placebo as one of the tools that makes it work, it's been shown in recent studies that even when someone knows they're getting a sham drug, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: it still has a placebo effect.
0: Amazing, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. So it's something different than just conscious belief. And then people go, oh, well, it's just sugar pills. It's like, no, the placebo effect is like placebo effect is not something that scientists measure against because it's convenient. It's, if it wasn't there, it would be much easier to do science. Placebo effect is there because we can't remove it. So the only reason we test things against placebo is that all medicines are placebos, just some of them happen to also be drugs. Does uh,
0: this make sense? Yeah. I hadn't thought of it from that way, from that perspective before.
1: Amongst the things that, are, that cause changes in placebo effect that make things more efficient, the color of the uniform the doctor's wearing, the color that the uh, hospital room is painted, the things that the doctor has on the wall, whether he's got his qualifications on the wall or not, the name of the medicine. hmm absolutely. Placebo effect, placebo effect, the size and shape and color of the pill,
0: I All read of these that uh, with when it comes to size and shapes of pills, the yeah. placebo effect gets stronger when the pill gets larger and larger. Unless yeah. the pill is really small, and then yeah. it's like the uh, placebo effect is really strong because the people taking yeah. it that this is the explanation that I've heard. I've no idea if it's right. Yeah. Go, oh, this pill's tiny; it must be really strong, really potent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah like it must I be I have a
1: potent. explode or something. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good to me. Yeah. So, placebo effect is a part of medicine we can't remove that appears to be magical. Mm-hmm. And by magical, I mean it um, shifts people's perception. So hopefully that explains. Another type of uh, magic that is scientifically verified is hypnosis. Mm-hmm. It's another one we do not have a good understanding of why it works. Sure. Um, now, I, I should state that uh, none, none of these things and no, no magic in, in a general understanding of it does everything. If, every, if anyone claims to you that something does everything, then you should probably avoid that. So um, hypnosis, um, you can do things like give someone brain surgery and, uh, but hypnotize them out of feeling pain.
2: Yeah.
1: Now the brain doesn't feel a lot of pain, so it's not like a major thing, but like it's certainly cutting into someone's skull is painful. Sure. But um, And that's actually, that's not an unusual thing that Neuroscientists do, that's the norm for certain uh, surgeries because they need to know whether they're damaging the person as, when they're operating on their brain. And one way to do that is to talk to them. Like, for instance, when you are mucking around with someone's motor cortex, mm-hmm. this is how weird the human brain evolved, how weirdly it evolved. When you talk about running, your motor cortex lights up. Mm-hmm. So like if they're like making sure they're not messing up someone's ability to conceptualize running and to run, one way to do it is to go, can you imagine you're running along the side side of stream for a little while? Poke, 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 Oh, no, cool. Wow. It's working. Yeah, and the same parts of the brain will light up as when they're actually running roughly. Yeah. More or less.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Same when you're dreaming about running. So the Our conceptual, our abstract conceptions evolved in a piggyback fashion on our actual bodily actions.
0: Well, it makes sense that they would. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, hypnosis is one. Um, I think I talked a little bit about advertising. Sure. Uh, I've got some fun stories about that. But once I was um, watching a movie on TV and it got to the ad break, and I thought, I really feel like a pinky bar i think i will um i think i've got just enough time to hop in my car drive quickly to the dairy buy a pinky bar and come back and like not miss m- much of the movie yeah um and i found myself sitting back in the chair holding a pinky bar going what the fuck just happened i don't think i've ever bought a pinky bar before it's not my favorite chocolate bar it's not one i generally eat and then i realize oh, the movie was the Tim Burton version of Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and mm, the, um, mm. oh, the next ad break, there was an ad for Pinky Bus and like I said, oh, God damn it, I am not too smart to be affected by advertising <laughs> at all. And I gave up TV at that point and started to feel a lot better.
0: <laughs> you decided that and, you didn't want to be programmed like that anymore?
1: Yeah. That is charm magic if, if ever I've come across it. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the things we do. Um, another thing that, uh, okay, so we assume, I mean, it, it's pretty clear that many of our ancestors were animists. They thought that the world was imbued with souls and that sure. um, animals were imbued with souls and rivers were imbued with souls. And we still get remnants of this um, when we relate to Maori tanga and, uh, and various indigenous things. If we even mm-hmm. look into the, our own ancestries, if we are... Um, Caucasians or Europeans. We find all, it, it's the same for, it seems to be the same for all cultures. Sure. That the places that you came from were special and frequently were personified or thought to be imbued with spirit. So, but we assume that as a post enlightenment culture, we are smarter than that and we've gotten beyond it. But I'd like to suggest that we haven't. Here's a scenario, you go, you're late for work and you get into your car and it just won't start. And just for a moment, you swear loudly at the car and thump on the dashboard. (laughs) As if the car has a spirit that can be negotiated with and can be punished for not obeying your will. And then you quickly come back to your senses and go, oh no, the car's a machine and it's broken. Just for that split second, almost beyond your emotional control, you were an animist. Yeah, we we slip into that all the time.
0: Yeah. So is it your suggestion that in the past that sli- that uh, psychological state that we slipped into was the majority state that we were of? Yeah. The majority of time that we spent was in that state, rather than in this current what we think yeah, of as modern rationalist.
1: I'm suggesting, I'm suggesting it was the dominant narrative for how we understood the way the world works because we didn't have objectivity.
2: Mm -hmm. the world
1: we had was a subjective world and by the way I should just clarify there's two people often poo poo the word um, subjective but they're missing them they're getting confused between two things I'm not talking about your own personal experience that's really interesting to you but no one else really cares about (laughs) I'm talking about the shared subjective experience that we can actually repeat and do magical experiences on Right. Okay. so like i can't i can't as a person completely invade your private world mm-hmm. and completely experience it but we can share experiences and mm-hmm. it's this shared space where language is which is what mm-hmm. we're doing now where interviews happen where sure. i affirm your existence with what i'm saying you affirm mine and we our consciousness gets directed towards yeah. each other this yeah. is the place where we can engage with magic and it can be extended out into a group like a rave or a, um, a ritual or a, a you know an African drum circle or whatever
0: yeah this interfacial zone is automatically magical mm. yeah
1: absolutely well language okay so here's another fun here's, here's two, two other fun oh. ideas that are related
0: can you hold that for a second because I'd like yep. to ask you a question about the previous absolutely. subject um do you buy the idea of a descent of spirituality in which humanity has moved from a zone where, oh, are you hearing that vacuum cleaner in the background? A, a little. Uh, it's not, not too bad. Not too bad? Okay. Uh, we have a zone from where everything was divine but not differentiated from each other. To a mm. space where everything was design, was divine, but differentiated from each other in the sense that mm. all of the world was God. Then all of the world was full of gods. Then the number of gods shrunk down into archetypal, particular gods. So we moved from an animist to a uh, sort of um, pantheon style religiosity. Yeah to a monotheistic religiosity, to a zero number of gods that we are now
1: religiously. No, I don't agree with that at all. You don't
0: accept the descent of religion in that sense?
1: Because all of those things still exist. Yeah. And generally speaking, they are all places we can still go Mm -hmm. experientially. And what you are presenting to me is something I call a ladder cosmology. That's fair. And um, I think it's the, actually it's my favourite way to engage with the world. Um, I think we've been, I think somehow with people like Descartes or it's something, we got kind of screwed up. I'd agree with I that. I think in the past, most mystical traditions had ladder cosmologies. Mm-hmm. This is to say, um, if, the, if at the bottom of the physical world, you hit a rock and it hurts your toes and it's an undeniable, like you can keep mm-hmm. hitting the rock, it's kicking the rock and it still hurts your toes. That's like... Um, that kind of bodily action and as you go up here we're talking conceptually um, through language so we're somewhere mm-hmm. near the middle or the upper middle of the cosmology and if you keep climbing up at the bottom you've got all the pieces from which things are made the reductionist thing and at the top you've got the eternal void from which of creativity from which everything emanates which is the monad or an uh, or Brahman. Mm-hmm. And I think these are all places that this is just, these are just maps like the Kabbalah um, Sephiroth, the tree of Kabbalah tree of life is the most complex one I've come across, but I believe chakras are trying to do this too. True. These are attempts to map human perception, human experience and human states of consciousness. Mm-hmm. And the fact that we are capable of feeling these things means they've all been around. Now, I don't think we started from it, something emanating from the, or, though I could be wrong, it almost feels like our ancestors started with their immediate surroundings mm-hmm. and um, and then having personality, trees having personalities, and especially the things they were trying to interact with, like they were trying to catch deer or something, so they had to interact with the whole spirit of all the deer sure. and make deals with it. Um, and then they had to reconcile the fact they're killing something and you are an animal and you're killing an animal if you're a hunter. So you have Mm -hmm. to reconcile that morally. So you come up with a narrative whereby you've made a
0: deal. Mm -hmm. That's Bataille's argument.
1: Yeah, that sort of thing. So you've got this kind of thing. I think it probably, I could be wrong, but it seems like if you look historically, it actually took us a while to get to this idea of a monad. So there were creator, creator gods and things, we, and usually we sprung from the earth or some way or we were made from the clay or…
0: Yeah, um, I have a certain level of scepticism around uh, the transferences that people do when studying magic. Uh, due to the inheritance from the order of the golden dawn who built all of those massive tables of transferences where yeah, you know sure. gold and the sun and lions are all related to each other but when but it's really important for me to not commit an error of assuming the fact that we make those transferences meant that in yeah. history those transferences were also valid so when you that, talk about a, line, yeah yeah when you talk about a um a monad that's uh, a really useful concept but then on the other hand if we look at greek mythology of what the starting point of like the kind of ground of creation that came about right at the very beginning of hesiod's theogony where you know gaia mm. is the sort of a, a void but not mm. a negative void instead of oh, a creative exactly. fructifying void right those two <laughs> concepts are both really useful and can sit in the same place but how much can we transfer from one to the other? My argument would be almost, almost zero.
1: Like, oh, I think, so you're you, so you comparing the... The Monad and the... Uh, Monad and, and the... The ancient conception and of Gaia chaos. Gaia. chaos.
0: Yeah, the fertile chaos of the original... Actually,
1: because they're all on the European line, and I think what yeah. we're talking about is a particular cultural line with a Golden Dawn, and I think if you want more unusual lines, then go outside of... I mean you and I have will have some cultural commonality here. Absolutely. So I give anyone who's um, from a distinctly different non European culture who's listening. But if we were to go right outside our cultural lines, I think that would be the place to compare to. Because the idea of the lion a lion and the sun and gold all being compared together is because that's alchemical that's an alchemical arrangement which in turn is a based on like biblical theology.
0: So we could chart it through the Golden Dawn, through yeah. the Alchemists, through the Bible, I, back to... I, yeah,
1: I strongly suspect so. Yeah. And probably through astrology too, yes.
0: Yeah, so I'm sure that all of those things have interconnections. I just don't want to make the error of saying that this is equal to that and therefore simplifying yeah. the mythologies that we inherit. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. yeah, Exactly. by, by attempting
0: to, to, false. to falsely yeah. unify them cool
1: yeah. so however i find it interesting you compared the monad
0: yeah. with
1: the greek with greek chaos the original sorry the original word chaos not necessarily how we use it in english yeah in greek system um, the world emanates from chaos mm-hmm. with the kabbalistic one which is and Sof, which is the void mm-hmm. of endless creativity from which everything emanates
0: well those two concepts are definitely having large overlap well they're pretty much all the same thing where do but we they get, are all
1: from the European line
0: yeah where do we get the concept of uh, monads from because I think of it in terms of a philosophical term from uh, yeah. I forget the name of a guy uh, someone who I'm used
1: not to sure but it's the it's the generalist philosophical term for these things right. it just means um, now it doesn't mean a one it means a Universality. Uh, it it doesn't mean everything comes from a single point. It means everything comes from. Okay, we're getting into logos here. Logos is the human ability to, well, actually, the ability of all creatures to draw boundaries around things so they can separate one concept from another. That's how I understand
0: it. Interesting. I when okay. I think of the term logos, I think of the. Uh, fundamental underlying formulaic rationality that lends structure to existence
1: oh interesting no i see it this way um logos like as a human being you've got to operate in the world so like Mm. you're sitting on a chair sure and you've got a microphone you've got to know where one thing starts you've got to know where your body ends and where objects start you've got to know where a concept starts and you because we're using language you have to know where concepts end and this ability to draw up boundaries around things mm-hmm. is, um, is Logos.
0: Okay.
1: It can be termed Logos. And um, this is my understanding. Well, it's definitely used in magic this way, in magical mm-hmm. practices. Um, it's used in psychoanalysis this way up to mm-hmm. a point. And I believe it's a, at least a fair interpretation of what Heraclitus was trying to say when he said, you never stand in the same river twice. Right. Yeah, point I'm not sure. What, that that River's is, is a process, not a thing. I'm sure but that's it's
0: an extremely dense philosophical concept, not just a simple yeah. like uh, yeah. you know factoid.
1: But let's say that it's pattern recognition in a sense. Mm. It's your ability to see one pattern instead of another. So the void is the place where the in a sense where everything is possible but there's no logos yet. Okay, mm. so that's the monad, the monad, or the chaos, or the ensuf, is that endless void from which there's no logos, and then and the and the genesis. Um, there's the you know there's the passage where they say in the beginning there was the word. Yeah. Well, there wasn't the word. There was the logos. Like the, the that's translated from the Greek word logos. In the beginning there was a logos. So in the beginning there was there was suddenly the ability to differentiate one thing from another. And until you um, have that, you can't do anything. You're just living in an eternal soup.
2: Mm.
0: And right? I think oh, yeah. I think yeah. that same uh, verse or book says that uh, existence was drawn forth out of a formless void. And I've, yeah, yeah, I've heard the argument that the formless void is just a placeholder for nothingness from which you can't go beyond. But I don't buy that. I think that there no, is a, actually a, a a a primordial soup and. Uh, undifferentiated yeah. chaos of everything opposite
1: of nothingness it's un- yes yeah, undifferentiated every that's it undifferentiated everything that's yeah, what it it's is. an
0: it's an effusive fertile all-producing yeah. variety of uh yeah chaotic mixture right? this
1: is why the deluge or the flood mm-hmm. or um, great bodies of water in the bible and um the hebraic tradition judaic tradition tradition are um, the opposite of logos they are that which washes away as a huh. symbol. It's why um, the, the rain, the 40 days and 40 nights flood, the sort of thing. And uh, to explain this, it's the opposite. It's when your Logos is all, thro- is all washed away through, through tragic circumstances. Um, it's the emotional feeling of such, and sometimes it's the literal thing, like there were 12 houses on our street, the tidal wave came in, and now there's just water. <laughs> Okay, so now there's, I can't go in my house, I can't differentiate my house, I can't differentiate the water from my street. It's just endless nothing. It's the emotional feeling you'd have if we picked you up in a helicopter and flew you out to the middle of the ocean and just plopped you in there and said goodbye. It's like, okay, you know where your body is, but you've got no idea how far down the water goes or how far that way, how far that way, how far that way. That feeling, Mm. that's loss of Logos. Interesting. So there's order, at the, or so that's chaos, that's true chaos.
0: Cool? Yeah, it's really interesting to investigate the etymology of these words because often there are so many defini- definitions for a specific word, particularly chaos yeah, in yeah. this case. So that's why I really enjoy us taking the time to isolate and investigate the specific definitions that we're applying for each of okay. them. Okay, yeah. Yeah.
1: So the original question or thread, I believe, was something like, do I think that people started in believing like in a monad type thing and then they slowly differentiated and down until, yeah. No, I, dude, I, the I, think we're always, I think the way human beings are built is that we are creatures that live on a physical relationship with our environment and, and many, many stacked layers of abstract.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the the fact that we can't get to the absolute truth of it is of, the world is made up from many parts or it emanates from a whole or any of these in-betweens is um, just basically, I believe, because we were not evolved with the end view of being able to understand the world.
0: Mm -hmm. (laughs) Is that that an observation about our psychology or an observation about material existence or is that question not really relevant?
1: It's in a sense not relevant. Well, it's not that it's not relevant. It's just unanswerable. Hmm. So I, th- I don't think it necessarily, I think the way, the way we tell our stories developed over time, but I think human beings have roughly been human beings for like 300,000 years,
0: uh, maybe yeah. longer. I, I think that's know? fair, but this is actually a diversion because you were about to talk about two other things and then I wanted to ask you about the theory of spiritual descent, which you've rejected. Do you remember what those other two mm, points no, that I want to make after that were going to be? No okay <laughs> we, got to, well, track. we need to swim
1: back <laughs> swim back to um order
0: i don't think i can swim up river in this case um, yeah all right was there another point that from your book that you wanted to talk about in terms of the interrelationship between magic religion and science um I, I, does that make sense to you watch there's,
1: there's the, of, the, the the way that these things what they're trying to get down the world and why they sometimes get on each other's work and
0: Yeah, like in the sense that magic is something that we personally use our will to achieve to do with our beliefs. Religion is a method of binding people together and science is the attempt at objectivity. I can see how because those are necessarily different end goals, then the pursuit of those end goals will necessarily entail different methods and very likely contravene the interests of people who are pursuing those end goals when they meet people who are pursuing any one of the other end goals. Absolutely. So yeah. that's
1: my primary point. Um, I could give many examples from history and that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Or many, or many um, there's quite a few ways in the modern world that we think about the stuff that I think we is, are historically wrong.
0: Mm-hmm. Alright, like, let, me, let me prod some of your suggestions. Yeah. If cool. magic is to do with perception manipulation, Where would you draw the outside boundary of where that is? And I ask that question because it seems to me that I can't draw that boundary. If magic is to do with perception and we are always interrelating with other people, then cultural production seems like a magical act. And therefore, mm. it seems to me that the cultural life world that we exist within can only be described as a magical object in total. In which case, I find it difficult ah. to draw a boundary between the personal yeah. act of will of me doing a magical act, which I absolutely think is correct. Yeah. Yeah, from my own experience. And yeah. also, it seems like culture is a collective self-hypnosis that we constantly go through and yeah, count the outside.
1: singular will so culture can be seen as a web of spells in a sense okay and we um there's other things going on too yeah um so one, i could get into what i believe spirits are and try and explain those in a way that hopefully okay will at least make sense to a rationalist
0: um
1: is there because Cultures culture is a web of spirits as well. And, um, First of all, spirit, can you, I'm, yes. is, is
0: there a place where you can draw the line? It sounds like you're drawing a line for what magic is, but as different from culture. With a so with some the individual
1: yeah, I believe that to discuss magic as magicians, we probably need to discuss it there. Now, whose will is a difficult question because as a human being, you probably don't have a singular will all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, this I because you probably, yes, you have arguments with yourself in your head, mm-hmm. and this is where this is the type of thing where a magician has to sort out whether they're going, they're acting on hunger or lust or creativity or, um, or trying to imbue themselves with a legacy or, yeah, um, out of jealousy or all these different things can be sub wills. And this is why, um, some fields like Kao Jung's psychoanalysis. Uh, trying to deal with um, individuation, trying to bring all these towards a common goal. Or well, uh,
0: it seems to me that the strength of the magical act for the individual is specifically drawing all of the varieties of internal dissension that one experiences as yeah. multiple wills in towards a singly focused point. In which point, in which case, all of your potentiality as a human yeah. being is focused towards a particular goal seems to me that's the strength of a magical ant.
1: It is, because, for the simple reason that if you're going to go for a run and you want to get there as fast as possible, it helps if all of your body is running in the same direction.
0: <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, if you try and run in a lot of directions at once, you yeah. might not get yeah, there very quickly. I'll give you that.
1: precisely <laughs> what someone who's not good at running is actually doing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, okay, but there's this other difficult thing is... There's a uh, co- there are you were, you suggested collective wills, and that can happen, and there's also the ways in which we spring forth wills that that are no longer and this we're getting we're getting into difficult territory here, but I'll try and explain it. Okay. There's collective wills, because the the religion has the will of the group as the will, and re- all religion uses magical practices that were created by individuals mm. i guess some of them can naturally evolve from um improvised sessions with a group to or evolve a group but that you know um religions are often started by individuals so there is this collective will and there's things that are that are magic there but they're not obeying the individual's will they're obeying the will of the group and then you get into things like corporations
2: mm-hmm.
1: now um this this does overlap with the idea of spirits. So, here's a weird example in our modern world. Uh, for example, a lot of people are concerned about the environment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: A lot of people uh, feel stuck. They wish they could operate in a world that's operate in a way in the world that's less harmful to the environment. So you can end up with a situation where you've got a corporation. And everyone working in that corporation might might actually want to pollute less. Mm-hmm. So say it's a fast food company, and someone in the board meeting says, Oh, let's move to um, wooden forks and wooden cutlery instead of plastic cutlery because it's more sustainable. And everyone can put up their hand and say that's a good idea. And the company can still have a will that's separate from that and decide, No, that's not what we're going to do. And mm. this is because. Uh, when companies become have investors, they have to follow investment law. And in many cases, a company can be sued by the people who have shares in it if they have not been seen to uh, maximize profits. Sure. They can be sued if they're not been seen to maximize profits. That means everyone who works works in the company can say wooden forks, please, and the investors can say. No, that's going to drop a few cents off our investment, so we veto that. This means effectively, and you can think of this in terms of it being a huge algorithm, if you like, that the company, one, is an entity, two, behaves in the world as if it has a willpower, mm-hmm. three, that this willpower can be entirely separate and even at odds with everyone who's working in the company as its body. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, the analogy there can be, like the cells in your body resisting suicide.
1: Exactly. Okay. So in this way, you're talking about culture. Do you see? When we now have a higher level of abstraction, Mm -hmm. a lot of terms in culture, it's like lots of people are fed up with their own culture, and yet they do it anyway.
0: Yeah, I.
1: There are these higher willpowers that emanate out of human groups. Is this making sense?
0: It is. I'm just wondering to myself if it's possible for a person to move outside of their culture.
1: Perhaps it, not. But as, yeah, it,
0: it, it might it, it might be the case that, every, that a person who is raised in a culture, everything they do, it, uh, even attempting to get out of that culture, is only the reproduction of the culture. Or it could be the case that a person who is raised in a culture can, uh, every time they're exposed to ideas that are... Uh, sourced okay. from outside that culture. Uh, give so I didn't that mean person to get stuck.
1: Out. I just mean say there's something in your culture that you have to do to get along with people, but you think is a dumb idea.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, right? So you can probably think I of it. I think a we can all things.
0: relate to that. Yeah,
1: okay. Two, can you consider that you might be hanging out with a group of people where everyone amongst that group of people thinks it's a dumb idea, and yet you still can't find yourself not doing it in the group? Absolutely. Okay, so whose will are you obeying then? I, I'd, I'd argue that, the, that there's these higher higher things. Now, when I say will at this point, we're getting a little abstract because uh, these particular wills can be, the things that appear to have will to, to us, like a corporation can appear to be um, in, in, entirely um, orientated towards churning up trees and and turning Mm. them into money Mm -hmm. even when everyone wants to keep those trees together like the lore might be as such and the lore is a whole bunch of things that I also consider spells in many cases
0: sure so the concept egregore is useful here right yes exactly yeah yeah I don't have on hand a convenient potted definition for what a egregore is oh okay yeah Um,
1: it's a spirit created by a group or a magician, a group of magicians or a singular magician in order to get a particular purpose done in the world. Cool. So it, it's like, um, so we, we, we've heard of spirits, we've heard of angels and demons and things, but a lot of people don't realize that in almost all magical paradigms I've ever come across, uh, you're, are, it's possible to create spirits Mm-hmm. Now what is a spirit? Okay, a well, spirit's got a difficult term for someone who's like a, a rationalist reductionist type. So sure. let's say let's start with memes.
0: Yep. Yeah.
1: So ironically, one of the best descriptions of spirits I've ever come across for um for people who don't who, who don't want to get into woo comes directly from Richard Dawkins. Mm-hmm. Um and in The Selfish Gene, he talks about meme theory, M-E-M-E. E, and everyone knows the memes that are the jokes on the internet with little pictures and captions, sure. but it actually means any unit, any idea that wants to reproduce itself or sorry, any any reproducible idea that jumps from head to head.
0: I've also think heard it defined as the smallest possible unit of culture.
1: Yeah, well, you could, you could look at it that way because culture yeah. is generally... Yeah, I mean, that's how he was trying to explain it.
0: um, One of his students wrote a book. I think it was called The Selfish Meme, but maybe it wasn't. Maybe that's just how I remember it. But yeah, and she goes into the way that um, memes can cooperate under exactly the same uh, Mm. incentives that genes do and that that's what causes these memeplexes or maybe you could call them egregores or spirits, these kind of uh, collective, non-existent, but existent,
1: uh, so he says he even yeah. gets into the fact that some people reproduce not bodily but through their ideas yeah, which I can't good... prove, but I think that's true. I think a lot of creativity actually um piggybacks on reproductive drive. I think some people get actually devote their life to to yeah. um, reproducing through their ideas and their music and their art and and car designing or whatever it is they're into rather than yeah
0: if you're willing to say that your ideas are part of your self and i don't know how you couldn't accept that then that immediately leads to the question uh mathematically speaking does the world that we live in make it more or does it incentivize us to spend our energy on reproducing the genetic side of ourselves or the ideational side of ourselves
1: well ever more the latter especially in our current age i, where, I um, think so very, too. Few, very few people very very few people are having children compared with our ancestors
0: but all okay, of us okay. are creators now
1: I mean we rambled a bit here but hopefully people understanding what a meme is our,
0: I hope. our audience is small but sophisticated so we don't need do. to spoon feed them
1: yeah so a spirit is a meme that operates in the world as if it has a willpower mm-hmm. cool now this might annoy some people because like spirits have an existence beyond human beings as well memes can have a existence beyond human beings potentially well anyone who read a what? page of a book should know that spirit definitely has a willpower and you're saying it might appear to one it's like well we can't prove the willpower either way mm-hmm. so um, I'd say it's just looking at the same object from a different angle I'd say that memes that appear to operate in the world as if they have will are the same thing as entities that operate in the world as if they have will and I think this can help us if this can be accepted by people, um, I think this can slowly start to knit our world together with that of the past and that of um, spiritual cultures. And the fact that actually, like, I'm sorry, but most of us um, have one or two spirit experiences in our lifetime, mm. if we're really honest about it, and it's just we don't always reconcile them with the rest of what we believe in the rest of the time. Okay. So it's not as if we're not a spiritual culture
0: so if if we accept the existence of some variety of non-material or semi-material creature whether we call it spirits Uh, mean plexus or egos let's let's
1: give it another name again idea great idea constructs okay yep Yep. yeah i can't see the difference i think the world of ideas is the spirit realm i think the world of ideas is the spirituality and i think idea constructs and spirits are indistinguishable
0: in, in the sense that we have an internal world, and as far as I can tell, all of the things we've been talking about operate in that place. I completely agree with you.
1: What's more, and this might scuff some people, but I don't think there's a way to argue it. If you look at all the mysticisms, at least all the mysticisms I've ever read, mm-hmm. I think we got off track. I think when they're talking about spirits, angels, demons, and everything, they're always talking about these idea constructs. And this idea that I don't think there's ever been might, mind, spirit, and body. I think there's only, I think mind and spirit are the same thing. And somehow we, I, post Descartes, we got kind of screwed up about this.
0: Well, spirit is such a slippery word because it's used in so many different ways. And yeah. also it's used so ambiguously. I think it's really difficult for us to yeah. um, so focus on like, particularly.
1: If you don't like the word spirit, just, and you want to understand what I'm saying, just use the word mind. And if you don't like the word spirits, um, use idea constructs because mm-hmm. to me, they, while they are like looking at the same object from different angles, I think they're still looking at the same object. Does it make sense? Yes, yes it does. And every paradigm I have ever come across that believes in spirits, it talks about them as real things. They talk about spirits that um, pre-exist human beings. Mm-hmm. But they also talk about spirits being created by human beings. Mm-hmm. Things like golems, things like meme constructs,
0: homunculi.
1: Co- corporations, homunculi, all of these. Yeah. Um, egregores. All of them seem to accept that you can create spirits. And the reason that these things are beyond human beings is uh, and, and are different to just like um, you just imagining a character is when they start jumping from head to head and they start being agreed upon by their attributes Mm -hmm. so um Santa Claus is a spirit and an idea construct right because we can agree upon when someone is enacting Santa Claus correctly or not We know when we're meeting Santa Claus and we know when we're not. We know the rules around which a Santa Claus is Santa Claus. And we know if you subvert those rules, it's not real Santa.
0: what do you make of the suggestion that uh, Santa Claus is an entity that uses us to get his work done?
1: Exactly. He, uh, millions and millions and millions of dollars are shifted around in our deal with the Santa Claus spirit, whereby we depict him on pieces of chocolate and crap <laughs> and we sell them to people at Christmas. With the um, And what, is, what Santa Claus gets out of it is that he gets to reproduce over and over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And what, what Santa Claus is... a construct caused by threads of previous constructs he's saint nicholas so there's another another meme construct
0: all right uh,
1: um he's also remnants of of uh father christmas was originally a different thing to santa claus sure uh, if you go back about 100 150 years ago but they
0: still are in the cultures that are non-english speaking i mean you can be yes, like yes, krampus to the russian yeah. version of mr christmas yeah. when, or whatever his name is you know
1: um, des Moritz or something yeah um, and then there's der Weihnachtsmann which is the Christmas man in Germany which is, Germans insist is a different character to um, Nicholas <laughs> he's and not it's, Saint it's, Nicholas in there and it, and you go well and it's not even the one who brings the Christmas presents that's der Christkind the, the Christ child so yes you're right we're not in all in agreement
0: Yeah.
1: and then okay. um, there's the element of Santa Claus Sorry, is element of Father Christmas who became Santa Claus. That's a remnant of some of the aspects of Odin. Sure, and then there's an element of him that is a cross pollination between Sami religious belief about mushroom shamans and who inter- interact with reindeer. Um, there's a particular reindeer shaman who flies through the air and jumps down Christmas at, 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 during Christmas time, jumps down um, chimneys and heals, uses magic to heal people. Um, that seems to have cross-pollinated with the fact that they were living next to um, Norwegians and Swedish people, and who worshipped Odin. And they were using Amanita muscaria mushroom, which the shamans of which wear dress up in red and white costumes when they're eating the red and white mushroom, or they're drinking reindeer piss because reindeers can eat this mushroom without um, poisoning themselves, and it will still be the piss will still be an entheogen for a human being drinking it so you start to get these things so like santa claus is one of this crazy pastiche of many many things but there's a real Um, sense in which um it's an idea that wants to be reproduced it's an idea so complex that it has a personality that we can enact and little children everywhere know when someone is doing the santa claus role properly or he's not Mm
0: mm-hmm and they and when, love to enforce the rules about it as well. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And when someone is doing it right, they they go along with the game. And when someone's not, they go, "That's not Santa." Yeah. Right.
0: All
1: right. Okay, so let, it's, Santa's a spirit in that sense.
0: Let me ask you a more provocative question. Good. Is God one of these?
1: Yeah. Um. Okay. So that. Okay. So. God, if you said spirit, is a difficult term because it's got lots of meanings. Yeah. And I think this is a problem in English especially. Mm-hmm. Uh, but God's even worse because um, in the larger sense, God just means spirits, <laughs> like particular spirits. It's a particular type of spirit as a God. Like a category. Um, I, I, okay, so sometimes you get like you get like um, the Richard Dawkins style atheist getting around people and saying, so. like, in a sense, everyone's an atheist because you don't believe in Thor and I just don't believe, I've just added Jesus to the things I don't believe and you're, you're an atheist about Norse gods and I'm an atheist about Christian gods and we're all atheists. I'm just one step more atheist than everyone else. Um,
0: an old Kenad, but anyway.
1: Okay. Yeah, completely yeah. Mis- he's completely misunderstanding it. So even in the Bible, there are um, spirits termed gods that are angels and things
0: well god's very specific that you're not allowed to worship any of the other gods just him
1: originally yeah they don't believe in one god at all they're monolaterous they're not which means they they accept that there are many gods and even acknowledge the existence of other gods but they say no only follow one and that's why he says yahweh says he's a jealous god Mm. and he's So what's going on here? And there's also monotheism and polytheism are not irreconcilable things at all. So this whole, let's feel about um, monotheism being different to polytheism. Catholicism is polytheistic. And so is Orthodox Christianity. And so it's any Christianity that has angels in it or other higher powers or demons or devils because all of those things have been called gods at different times. What's more, people get fed up. They say, um, I don't believe in God, or God is about belief, and we get screwed up between that which we feel, the ideas we like in our head that we feel should be true and that which we really behave in the world as if it's true and that which we can all experience. So there is going back to the monad which i think is the most abstract conception of what god is Mm -hmm. which is that god is again the eternal void of possibility from which everything emanates Mm -hmm. this god i believe is just a a a place you can go in your perception that you can undeniably um experience and it requires no faith whatsoever and it requires no belief Mm I think that's the most abstract form of God down to like Thor which is um, Thor is the God of thunderstorms and temper tantrums. <laughs> okay, so he's the, he's the red-headed God because people's faces turn red when they're really, really enraged. When a toddler, if you're anyone who's a parent, when your toddler turns bright red and um, if you're in, in Old Norse culture, I, th- I think they could have readily said oh he's being a little thor right now okay, also and totally- uh,
0: redheads um have iron exiting their body all of the time so they tend to I suffer think? from iron deficiency and therefore swings. That. that's why they have that reputation oh wow well, okay
1: <laughs> yeah. Know that. yeah and apparently they feel pain worse than other people too
0: <laughs> spiritually I too, I I bet. yeah um
1: so, yeah um that kind of god is an aspect as a a character analysis of a way human beings can behave as well as um, an aspect of nature to which we have metaphorically linked it, as in a storm feels angry and people can get angry. Mm. And um, Thor is a god that Loki makes fun of all the time because he gets angry and then Loki can manipulate him into doing things because basically they're playing games of chicken all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. I bet you're too chicken to do that. It's like, I am not a chicken. (laughs) And then you can get the red-headed god to do shit for you. Okay, so that's a god too. See how that's got almost nothing to do with the the universal godhead monad type god?
0: Well, I think that this is, look, I completely agree with you. I think that our conversation about gods in the West is so tremendously screwed up Mm. Well, I think that it is, A, I think it is tremendously screwed up. And I think that it's tremendously screwed up for a whole raft of different reasons. One of them being that uh, the word God is either not defined at all or has so many definitions that it's impossible to pin down what anybody means about yeah, it a lot need, of the time. Yeah, we anyway. for
1: all of this stuff.
0: And also I think that there's a historical factor, which I think that the, uh, the Anglospheric West has had a religion that is monotheistic in the in the but
1: it sense ha- it hasn't, that's what I'm trying to get to. It's not. Well,
0: in the sense that the West that the mono, that the Anglospheric West is not Catholic but Protestant, it rejected the Trinity and became more uh Unitarian in that sense. Uh, all and of this
1: I, I think th- is confusion piled on confusion.
0: I yeah, because I agree.
1: Protestants still believe in angels in many cases. They still believe in uh, they, definitely, they definitely believe in devils in many cases.
0: Well, be that as be that as it may. The point that I'm trying to make is that the fact that in, we've had a uh, inheritance of monotheism or at least something like it has meant that the conversation that we're trying to have in the twenty first century hmm. is so shaped by it that it has come down to this binary of, do you think this one particular guy exists or not? Yeah, yeah, that's and right. that's the historical error that is going on. Whereas yeah, my analysis like, oh, I, yeah, is that um, gods are just anything that is external to ourselves that has an influence on our life. That's the most abstract form of what could what a oh. god definition could possibly be. Yeah, yeah.
1: I can see why you're going there. I think that's a brave effort.
0: Do you think there's any um, chance of getting any juice out of it, or am I? Is it a doomed endeavour? Try, go,
1: well, see what you, like go, go away thinking about what um, this idea of thought contr- constructs that behave in the world as if they have will. Mm-hmm. And I guess gods are the old, gods in the polytheistic sense are the ones that are, are one ancient and two have been enacting on people's will mm. over and over. And what do I mean by that is that we, um, we enact them they're like archetypes and we enact them like yeah like gods, like so, Thor's tantrums.
0: so I accept your definition of gods but I think that mm. it's not complete no um, have you read um, Jung's essay on Votan
1: oh maybe no I'm not sure if I've come across it or not I've read quite a lot of Jung but
0: well anyway the point is that um, when I read that it made me aware of the fact that gods can also exist as things that are not thought not uh thought constructs in the sense that if there's a predictable return of something like for example war to europe which is the analysis that jung does in his discussion on votan then the fact that war reliably returns independent of the fact that that we can have egregores that operate inside our minds there can also be an external material factor that is that can have influences on our minds, but is not caused yeah. by them, because what causes it is the geopolitical layout of Europe.
1: Yeah, you're, what you're saying is what I'm trying to explain. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, but you're doing it a little better than me in that case, yeah.
0: I don't know if I'd go that far, but I appreciate that we're converging on something. No, it's cool,
1: like, um, okay, before psychology, mm. we weren't all swimming around, like, not, thinki- not thinking about thinking. That's ridiculous. As long as we've been able to think, we've been thinking about thinking. Hmm. In the past, people talked about it through uh, mythology in many cases. It's one in of the fact, ways people talk about thinking, about thinking.
0: Very likely the first time anyone realized that they were thinking. That they yeah. were thinking about thinking is what caused them to realize that they were thinking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, um, so
1: I, 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 re- I mean, you could probably tell I really enjoy the Norse archetypes, the Norse right. gods, for one thing, because they're easy to explain.
0: Wow, I would definitely not have said that. I'd I, say
1: com- I compared with some uh, some other paradigms, but um, easier. I can, okay, so like another one I really like. Sorry, sorry.
0: Um, I I agree that there are easy explanations that can be applied to some of the Norse gods, but as, to
2: discuss, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, it's, and I'm completely willing to use them as the sample archetype if we want to have yeah. a deep discussion because I'm fairly familiar with them. But also, yeah. like, um, for example, let me take a suggestion. And I have no idea if this is historically true or not, but we can mm. interpret Thor as the working class god and Odin as the royal god. And the reason why we do that is because Thor is a practical man. He likes to drink. He gets no. work done. He uses a tool. Whereas Odin is a is and here I return to the esoteric yeah. split in the sense that one is for people who are outside the temple. But for people who are royalty yeah. or aristocratic, they need a different god. Someone who is dark, someone who acknowledges the existence of war, someone that's not comprehensible, someone that invented language and magic, someone who suffered and that is a becomes an internal mystery cult internal to the yeah. social milieu there. Now, again, I'm not saying that's historically accurate. I'm just saying that as a way of thinking about w- the way that divinities can operate, yeah. it sets out some of the useful concepts.
1: Okay, um, I I agree with your sentiment, but not all the terms, but that's okay. Yeah, okay. So you know, I, more, I more or less agree with you. I, uh, a good comparison is um, Odin. Odin's It's hard to tell, but Odin's appears to have become... And i could be going out on limb here but it appears to have become the head god of norse mythology maybe about 200 a.d or something
0: yeah interesting okay Bef- uh,
1: this um, and it's not completely understood because you've got to understand that almost the entirety of what we know about norse mythology comes from the icelandic Eddas mm-hmm. that were written about 1100 a.d ish by christians
0: yeah snorri
1: yeah, Snorri Stolason. And he does strange things. Like there's a god, o- Odin, which, um, or Odin is his proper name, Odin. Mm-hmm. Um, Odd being a part of a word which means crazed. Mm-hmm. And in being the definite article, it means the crazed one mm-hmm. or the crazy one. Um, there's another god in the list that Snorri Stolason measures, it uh, says, is a different god called Odur. Mm-hmm. Which just means "crazed," <laughs> without a definite <laughs> article on it. So he's already starting to like get a bit odd. Um, odd, Odin, which is Odin, is um, married to Frigg,
2: mm-hmm.
1: cool, who's um, a fertility goddess in the agricultural sense, and she's part of the Aesir, mm-hmm. who are the, um, the the gods of Scandinavia, and then there's well, another one, the one of the
0: two branches of gods. Yeah, the other branches
1: yeah. are the Vanir,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and the Vanir seem to have come in from outside. And amongst the Vanir, there is uh, Freya, often pronounced Freya, but Freya. Mm. Freya is married to Odin, and Frigg is married to Odin. So then, there's these two, there's this married couple that have almost identical names. And Snorri Sturluson said they are different mm-hmm. gods, and it's very likely that they were just the same thing.
0: Well, remember in the saga in two
1: different areas, yeah.
0: Remember in the saga that Snorri says the gods between uh, the war between the gods was settled by the swapping of their leaders. So actually, yeah. the head of the Isiah is actually a what? Would you, what did you call him? A Vanir? and the, Vanir. yeah, and the head of the Vanir is actually an Isiah. Because, like it's even
1: more complicated. Yeah. This is where I wanted to go because you were talking about class. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I almost agree with you, but Thor is a difficult example. But I'm going to try and strengthen your point with a better example. I hope. I appreciate Thor, that. Thor is the um, son of Odin. Mm-hmm. Oh, Odin. But there's two gods of war, and they're two gods of war for different reasons. One is Tyr,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the one-handed god. And there is Odin, the one-eyed god. Now Tyr, a lot of a lot of his um, mythologists think that Tyr was probably head of the gods. Going further back in time, that Odin comes in as an outsider god, from a, another culture or brought in, because Odin is not the type of god you would normally pick if you wanted a stable society. He's basic. He, like he's not Father Christmas. He's more, like the, he's more like the godfather.
0: Well, his name's Happy in War. So.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the crazed one.
0: Yeah. So, um,
1: cool. Okay. So, Tyr is the god you would choose if you had a warlike society based on good sportsmanship. Because he go, he's, he's a sword god who goes out and fights on the front line, and he's about strength and valor. And he's basically a good Boy Scout, a good soldier. He's a mm. front god of one son. And like if he's got a beef, he goes and does his beef at his own risk and his own responsibility. Mm. So here's the good-natured one. But at some point in history, and I think this coincides with difficult events for Scandinavians, mm-hmm. they chose Odin instead. Odin is the only male god that uh, practices seidr. This is the female witch magic that was mm-hmm. forbidden, that was considered effeminate. Because good Viking men, or well, good Old Norse men, should always uh, like settle their disputes with uh, with valour and honour and responsibility, and never by underhanded means. And this is why they were a dueling society, for instance.
0: Sure, but we must, I completely we must underhanded. accept, surely, that the Scandinavian cultures had an extreme respect for underhanded and malicious tactics because of
1: odin, cause they chose odin as their god and odin is completely underhanded and, and so also vice versa he's if you've ever watched the one the best depiction of odin i've ever come across in popular culture is from the godfather movie the godfather that character turns into odin mm. he starts he starts with an inkling of of like um Honor and honesty, and by the end of the film, he's just the leader who will f- who will fuck over anyone in order to keep his family safe and and to get what he wants.
0: It, it's and in, what's interesting though is if we accept that when Odin sits on his throne, he's all seeing, he but not uh, all knowing through time because That's his true. prediction of the occurrence of the Ragnarok is predicated on a near certainty but not an absolute certainty so if we uh, isolate his actions and think about them in terms of everything being predicated on whether or not it strengthens how it shifts the odds of the final battle then he becomes like a he becomes a geopolitical actor it
1: gets complicated because they have an unusual sense of time where the concept uh, which in Old English got called weird I think in Old Norse it's fate, which comes from fate the same kind Mm -hmm. of Fate. I believe so. Anyway, they the same concept. Um, and we're going to have a difficult time explaining that because they didn't consider um, time the way we consider it and they didn't consider the foretelling of events the way we consider it now. Yeah. They did not have did not have linear time. And they consider people to be on a path that you can't exactly get off, though you can get onto a parallel path or a parallel path, but you there's this way as a human being in which you're being drawn towards particular duties in many cases, mm-hmm. and that even the gods have to follow that. And this was also the same in Greek culture, mm-hmm. where you've got um, the fates and um, these kind of characters. So I feel like <laughs> there could possibly be a whole discussion about that. But just um, not to get off track, so you've got, yeah. uh, you've got two leaders. You've got Tyr, which is the orderly leader of good, good battles, and then you've got Odin who's the underhanded one who is a trickster. So Odin does things like um he's trying to he's trying to procure dead soldiers souls for, to fight a battle for him in Ragnarok, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. For um, I uh, what are they called? because oh. they
1: get sent to Valhalla and they wait there and drink and eat eat. Until yeah, they spend all day fight
0: fighting, it. so they get good at it. Yeah.
1: yeah. So uh, you make deals with Odin, hoping that he won't screw you over, but frequently in the sagas, he there's a few times where he like, um, honors to have people win battles as long as they do battle a certain way and then kills has as many of the soldiers killed as possible just so that he can procure more souls for... <laughs> for
0: well, Snorri's, yeah, and Snorri still, tells us that the whole that uh, the whole purpose of sending the goddesses to Earth is to stir up wars in order to maximise the number of casualties so, so that he casual... can staff his yep. um, uh, army for when Ragnarok comes. Yeah.
1: So two other uh, really important points, mm-hmm. why the Vikings probably did this, and two, Odin is a chaos god that works, and then they have another but he's a blood brother with a chaos god who creates strife. Mm. So the first one is we're talking about a time in history when Scandinavia was at the Viking Age, when Odinism reached a peak.
0: Yeah, the migration era.
1: Yeah, migration front starting seven fifty AD odd with the ransacking of Lindisfarne. Cool. Right?
0: Yeah.
1: In England. So um, why why they did that, why they all went a raiding, which is what the word Viking means. It means to go raiding. A Vik is a a bay area. So the the men who hang around the bay, which means they're the boatmen.
0: They must be every Norwegian, surely. Yeah. <laughs> well originally. <laughs> is that you had you ended up
1: with a culture um where you had a bunch of rich men who owned land who were kind of chieftains and Yals and things um they the farmland was farming quite, was quite difficult to my understanding in scandinavia at the time especially in places like iceland and stuff
0: well the soil and in they, iceland is rubbish so that's yeah there. yeah yeah so what do you do
1: um and um and the rich men were picking up extra wives, or mistresses or things because if you're a woman you want to be looked after Sure. Um, I'm not trying to be sexist here. This is the age in which women had to have seven to nine births in a lifetime just to keep population stable. Uh, tribal, tribal, and early feudalistic ages were kind of brutal. Our ancestors didn't have much choice. So, um, if you got everyone who could have children had to have children, and you wanted your children looked after, so this is uh, why we ended up things were like polygamy. Mm. So you've got all these young men who have no resources. Um, they've got no chance to buy land. And the only recourse for them is to become sneaky thuggish raiders, take a high risk, pro- pro- maybe die, maybe come back with a lot of riches. They, they come back and then they can afford some land and afford to have a wife and and have yeah. a family. What do you um, make of that? The... That's when you choose Odin as your god it makes perfect sense like, yeah, yeah. let
0: me add a layer to that and see what you think about this cool. what do you make of the suggestion that the Viking raiding parties um, were easily conceived of and adapted to by these extra uh, Scandinavian men um, because they inherited the Yamnaya Manabund technology where you would have this kind of these guys like that—that that was already what was going on. And so if we, I'm,
1: not, I'm not familiar with Yamnaya.
0: Technology. Uh, the Yamnaya were the people that moved into Europe from the kind of Ukraine region ah, early on Ukraine and pushed in. Yeah, okay, yeah, and yeah, and that uh, and pair that with the suggestion that the Viking boat culture is likely or potentially anyway, could be an adaptation from the Yamnaya's chariot and horse culture. So there's like a thrust of cultural push out of Ukraine through Germany into Scandinavia where the technologies, the the intellectual technologies and cultural technologies shift their form as they hit the ocean but are essentially just a reinstitution of the old way of doing things
1: again um as a paradigm
0: shift yeah i think that makes sense as a
1: specific about whether that culture did it or not i don't know
0: i don't have the expertise to judge the the historicity uh, of it
1: but also as the mythology i mean they did talk about the vanir this other set of gods coming in and having a battle with the ezer Mm. the Scandinavian gods and them reconciling and it they came in from another place, and then there's also some speculation whether o- Odin even earlier came in as an Eastern god somehow, and and replaced Tyr as the god. Well, and this is why they came up with that story about Tyr holding his hand into the fire and Odin yeah. outspitting him,
0: assuming that he's etymologically related to all of the other varieties of European sky father gods that come out of the Yamnaya thrust into Europe. Then Odin's like the weird one. A-
1: Terra seems to be the one that might be etymologically related to things like Deus and, mm. yeah.
0: The whole proto-Indo-European thing. Again, I don't have the expertise to judge yeah, on that. Right. Yeah, that's right. But so here's the question. Like, all of that is fascinating, but for our scientific listeners who are not interested in, you know, the ins and outs of particular but, ancient mythologies, what mean, lessons can mean, we draw what lessons yeah,
1: can we draw? I was getting there and you've asked yeah. many questions and we've been pulled away. But we haven't, oh, I'm still bringing it back because that yeah. was my point one. Okay. Of the, okay. Point two will hopefully help under, people understand what gods at this level means. Mm. So you've got Odin. I've already talked about how Odin, my, my favorite depiction of Odin, the character I think is most similar to, I've seen in movies, is the, from the Godfather films, the Godfather. Right. Um. If you ever watch a TV series or read the books American Gods, Mm -hmm. Neil Gaiman did a good job of um, adapting Odin's character and getting that sneaky kind of godfather type aspect to him, right? Too. Sure. um, Not like the Avenger movies were. (laughs) 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 Anyway, but uh, I think this is a beautiful thing because. We, these are characters you come across in real life and you go well there's an Odin
2: mm.
1: or there's a cool and um crime boss type characters but there's o- there's another one Odin has a blood brother who's Loki mm. they are both chaos gods they're both sneaky underhanded gods and they both uh use forbidden magic and they both gender bend when they do so mm so, they're both the characters, they're rebellious gods that break taboos because Odin learns from Freya, i um, last lost being pronounced Freya, learns the female magic, Seder. Women are tolerated to use a kind of magic that's based on charms and curses that good Viking men are not supposed to use. They're supposed mm-hmm. to be honorable and, and stand up for themselves. Um, but Odin uses this effeminate magic uh, because he's underhanded. And is, therefore sometimes they made fun of him for doing it, so.
0: Is that the same branch of magic that he invented when he was on hanging on the tree?
1: No, that's extra. That's runes. So got, um, Odin got associated with Hermes yeah, in, um, in Greco-Roman culture because he, the, uh, Hermes is the god of communication.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And so is Odin through runes. And it's an association with Thoth and Egyptian things. I was going to say, yeah. It's usually a character who creates the first magical symbols.
0: What do you make of that association? Is that pure historical revisionism? Or do you think there's an actual connection between them? Or are they a reflection of an archetype that we can't... Reflection
1: Reflection of an archetype is my opinion. Okay. Yeah. Great. So, um, right. So, Loki. Loki is my favourite character to discuss in there and this is how it could be applicable to people you know because I have come across a lot more Lokis than I have come across Odins Mm. in our culture because we're living in a very lawful culture
2: Mm
1: -hmm. so um, if we were living in kind of maybe like Colombian uh, cocaine kind (laughs) of organized crime we'd meet a few more Odins
2: sure
1: but I do meet Lokis now and then so Nobody knows how old Loki is. He hangs out with Thor, who's Od- Odin's son, and yet he's at least as old as Odin. Um, he's come from outside. He's half giant, but we're not quite sure t- of his origins. Um, and he's surrounded in this mystery. Odin and him are blood brothers, and therefore Odin cannot harm him. And everywhere that Odin drinks, Loki has to be allowed to drink. Even though frequently he pisses the rest of the gods off so much that they want to get rid of him. And Odin says, "Sorry, man, I did a blood thing. I did the blood brother thing with him, and we can't get rid of him."
2: Mm.
1: And um, he's always trying to manipulate people. Like he's like usually in humor. He's okay. So have you ever met someone who's has a weird, who's mischievous? has a weird kind of charm, hangs out with people much younger than them. And um and as you get to know them, like if you're one of these people who's aware of these people, you might you might either go, this is such a charming guy, I'm gonna hang out with him and talk to him. Or you might go, something's off about this guy, and there's all these sort of he's having sex with all these really young women mm. who are all troubled. Mm. And these young and nobody knows how old they are. Uh, this is a Loki.
2: Hmm.
1: Charles Manson is a Loki, and from my understanding of, if gods can be personality types, I think that a lot of mythology is talking about ways people actually enact themselves and uh, orientate themselves yeah. in the
0: world. I'm extremely skeptical of the idea of using pantheons just purely as. Um, personality analysis devices yeah. Yeah. but the of course we're human beings so everything we do is human yeah. so when we're involved in uh, well, mythology it's, like, I, it's a human endeavor sure.
1: yeah it's yeah. what i like like it it's because until i learned who loki was i wasn't aware of these people and after mm. i learned what kind of character loki is who's my favorite villain in written in all of literature i think it's an unbelievably they touched on something that is villainous, that I'd never see in anything so perfectly, succinctly explained anywhere else.
0: And as soon as the pattern was revealed to you, you were able to match it onto a whole bunch of mysteries?
1: A fair bunch of people, a few people I've met in my life, um, who, and people throughout history, and I go, oh, and you were able to spot them quick quick and early and <laughs> then yeah. make a decision about giving them a wide berth or. Yeah, they tend to be these kind of um, culty people. Yeah. Yeah. Does it kind of make sense? So I, I like what Like, whilst, whilst I, I understand your concerns, I do think that part of what a pantheon is, is explaining archetypical characters that you might meet in the world. And it's, you could say that... Um, You could just say, I mean, you could say as a literary character, Charles Manson had similar aspects as Loki. Or you could say, if you were a spiritualist, you could say, no, he was invoking the Loki archetype, if you're willing to go on that limb with me. Mm -hmm. It's this way that um, these spirits can emanate as behaviour patterns in people.
0: Well, let me go even further out on a limb and say that one aspect of Loki is the collective... Uh, actions of all of the people who bear the Loki archetype in the world as just I mean. a part of Loki's aura, and that that is the way that he affects the world, or or one way that he affects the world, even if it's never intentional. Yeah.
1: Thank you, that's what I'm trying to explain, yes. Excellent. Cool. So, to go back to the sort of beginning of what my mission is with my book, um, to help people reconcile how do we think now to the way people thought in the past and uh, if you're willing to go on the limb with this especially with this because most of I'm not the Loki thing is not something I put in my book it's just a personal thing I find interesting that I'm working with until I get further evidence but it's the type of thing where you start to realize when you are able to use these in the world you go actually some of these people weren't very dumb after all they were Mm. explaining some fairly deep psychological concepts
2: mm-hmm.
1: and as well as um, concepts in nature as well as things that happen in the world and once you realize the utility of them you realize that um, they're quite onto it they are as I think Loki is as good a description of a way a personality can operate in the world as many of the things in the DSM 5 statistical manual of mental <laughs> disorder <laughs> I think it's yeah. as sophisticated as talking about narcissistic personality disorder.
0: Well, any person who thinks that our ancestors were not as sophisticated as us, all they need to mm. do is just go and read the, uh, the tiniest amount, five pages of the pre-Socratic philosophers, and you will and immediately have that illusion ripped away from you. I think so, the strength you start of
1: your... Go along with my Loki idea, but yeah. at least use that as a French to, to try and reconcile these things with um, the world that we live in mm. so I think in, um, the gist of what I'm saying is useful
0: I, I agree and I think the strength of your Loki idea is that it's a, a half that it works as a stepping stone it's modern enough that we can yeah. feel it and see it um, and it's an excellent stepping stone for stepping back further into history um, in order to open up and make available to us ideas that previously wouldn't be accessible if we didn't have the, have Loki as a stepping stone because yeah. it articulates a whole set of really useful concepts for us.
1: Cool. Yeah. So hopefully people can see some sort of thread of what I mean by pragmatic thinking, prag- pragmatic magical thinking, even though we've gone off sort of all sorts of tangents but hopefully we've been orbiting around this kind of central thing that it's got to be useful to you. I'm only interested in magic that works or it has a use mm-hmm. and now it enables us to make change in the world. I'm not interested in magic that only functions if we believe in it.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I think the most interesting magic happens and um, works whether we believe in it or not. And it's the stuff that's going to be most useful to skeptics. I consider, um, even though I might sound like quite out there to some of these people, I do consider myself a skeptic. Mm-hmm. I, I try and be open to ideas, but I do test them in the world. And I'm not interested in stuff that doesn't work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Would it be fair to say that uh, to wrap up to wrap this all up in a nice little bundle, would yep. it be fair to say that we should take our minds and our internal world seriously?
1: Well, what happens when you don't? I mean, uh, one tends to head towards either some some sort of anxiety or a mental breakdown even. Of course, we have to. It's part of our survival. We have an emotional centre for a reason. We have an emotional mm-hmm. world for a reason. And um, it's vital to our reproduction that we can and with, be it through ideas or be it through bodily having children that you can relate to other people emotionally so of course
0: yeah fantastic cool. how are you feeling energy wise should we wrap it up there
1: I'm fine I've, I think if I was a listener I'd possibly be reaching the end of my energy by now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, well I'll tell you what This has been a fantastic discussion. Let's wrap it up here and let's schedule another one um, because I'm certain there's heaps more that we can talk about.